research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, this is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. The co-host of this program, of course, Eric Eggers. Eric, I'm thinking about the land of my ancestors, Switzerland, mm-hmm. because we just had a very important conclave that ended there. And I think you're doing well by your genetic ancestry because who conglomerates, who convenes in Switzerland? It's the global elites. And who better to be a global elite than Peter Schweitzer, America's favorite number one New York Times? Just because you dress down doesn't mean you don't glow up professionally and personally. Yeah, well, we'll have a conversation about that later. Uh, But yes, Davos has just concluded. There's a lot of mystery about Davos. There's a lot of things that have been said about it. Uh, But this year, it may be or maybe not slightly different than it was in the past because they invited a couple of critics uh, to show up and sort of tell them what they thought about what was wrong with Davos. So the first one we're going to hear from is the president of Argentina, Javier Malay. Here's what he had to say to Davos. Today, I'm here to tell you that the Western world is in danger. And it is in danger because those who are supposed to have to defend the values of the West are co-opted by a vision of the world that inexorably leads to socialism and thereby to poverty. The second clip is from Kevin Roberts, the president of the Heritage Foundation, who is also invited to go there. Uh, Kevin Roberts, obviously not a fan of da- Davos. We have a longer clip from Kevin Roberts, but here's what he highlights and what he says to the elite that are gathered in Switzerland. Political elites tell the average people on three or four or five issues that the reality is X, when in fact reality is Y. Take immigration. Elites tell us that open borders and even illegal immigration are okay. The average person tells us in the United States that both rob them of the American way of life. They're right. President Trump will take that on on behalf of the average American. Elites also tell us that public safety isn't a problem in big American cities. Just travel to New York or Washington or Dallas, Texas. The average person will tell you that the lack of public safety damages not just the American way of life, but their life. President Trump will take that on. Thirdly, I guess the favorite at the World Economic Forum is climate change. Elites tell us that we we have this existential crisis with so-called climate change, so much so that climate alarmism is probably the greatest cause for mental health crisis in the world. The solutions, the average person know, based on climate change, are far worse and more harmful and cost more human lives especially in Europe during the time that you need heating, than do the problem and the problems themselves. Fourth, two more here, Robin. The fourth, China. The number one adversary, not just to the United States, but to free people on planet Earth. Not only do we at, at Davos not say that, we give the Chinese Communist Party a platform. Count on President Trump ending that nonsense. 
And fifth, as we sit here, another supranational organization, the World Health Organization, is discussing foisting gender ideology upon the global south. These are practices that are under review, if not being rejected, by countries in Northern Europe. The new president, especially if it's President Trump, will, as you like to say, trust the science. He will understand the basic biological reality of manhood and womanhood. And do you know why? Not because of retribution, not because he's a dictator, but because he has the power of the American people behind him. And it's connected to Senator Portman's excellent point that in addition to needing a vigorous executive, we look forward to having the popular will inform both the House and Senate in 2025 to pass laws on all of those issues and many others. Ultimately, Robin, I think President Trump, if in fact he wins a second term, is going to be inspired by the wise words of Javier Millet, who said that he was in power not to guide sheep, but to awaken lions. That's what the average American and the average free person on planet Earth wants out of leaders. So, Eric, that's a lot to unpack, a lot to understand. Uh, fortunately, we have a guest here today that knows all about this. And in fact, Kevin Roberts said, I think via Twitter, that when he went to Switzerland, he actually read our guest's book and it was vital to prep him for that speech. He said, I think we've seen some internal communications from Kevin Roberts that it put him in exactly the right mindset. So, you know, you've got Seamus Bruner author of Control of Garks. Last year, it was the word of the year in Australia. Was This year, Kevin Roberts is reading it as he goes to Davos to give that speech and talk about the way that the state leads to poverty. We even have, I think, Seamus is such a cultural phenomenon. There's even a Jeopardy question from Control of Garks that was heard just last week. Let's go with agriculture for 800. This founder of Microsoft became America's largest private owner of farmland with around 250,000 acres in 18 states. Brian. Who is Gates? Yes. So joining us now, of course, is Seamus Bruner. Seamus, author of the great book Control Agarchs that came out last year. Uh, he is a uh, vice president uh, for research here at the Government Accountability Institute, does a fantastic job. So I want to get your sense, Seamus, from how much has really changed at Davos. You do have a couple of outspoken critics there. They speak candidly to them face to face, which I think is kind of new uh, for Davos. Has much changed? Uh, Davos wants you to think so. Uh, so <laughs> okay. they made the theme this year, uh, rebuilding trust. Um, so obviously they do have some self-awareness. Usually people uh, you know, flying on private jets lecturing everybody about climate change. You'd think they don't have any self-awareness, but uh, they do have some self-awareness. Re- they want to rebuild trust with uh, all of us who are critics of their plans for our future. Um has much changed. If you look at the uh, agenda, the schedule of events for this year's Davos, not much has changed. And uh, it's full speed ahead on uh, the climate crisis, on the war on farmers, on uh, artificial intelligence, which is so vital to many of their their plans, whether it's with uh, digital IDs or central bank digital currencies. They're talking about those. Um, You had the IMF managing director there talking about how critical central bank digital currencies are. So uh, yes, they're, they're trying to rebuild trust. I applaud them for inviting Dr. Roberts. He gave an amazing speech. Yep. And uh, same with Javier Millet. I mean, they are, you know, and they invited Donald Trump uh, to Davos. So they've done this before. They've had critics go into Davos and, and uh, you know, tell their side of uh, events. But there's a, 
there's a lot to be worried about what they're working on. What I think is fun is your book talks about the way that the global elites, these control oligarchs, essentially have positioned themselves with relationships with the state to make money off of every aspect of your life and control your life to put money in their pockets. That's essentially the combination of what the Argentinian president and Kevin Roberts were saying, right? The Argentinian president saying, hey, state control leads to poverty. It's what we've seen in Argentina. Kevin Roberts is saying, here's what the state's trying to do to do that, right? With immigration, with climate change in China. And you have documented exactly how they try to use climate change as the ultimate rationale to control what we're doing, which I think ultimately everyone else does less in the name of global temperature cooling. What's the most radical and ridiculous thing they talked about in Davos? And there's a new term. Control oligarchs was last year's term. There's a new term we may be hearing that suggests, hey, may, you know, are we guilty of con- con- you know, committing more crimes against the environment we didn't even know we were doing? <laughs> yeah, that's right. A new, new, new uh, Orwellian term just dropped, ecocide. Mm. Uh, you're killing the environment if you go hunting. So to all the hunters out there, fishermen, just know you are committing cl- uh, crimes against the climate, uh, and they and they want to they want to come for for your fish for your. So for this your was game. this was actually discussed at Davos. Yes, yeah, ecocide is the the new term. Uh, and fishing fishing's a form of ecocide. Yeah, fishing's a form of ecocide. Hunting, uh, fertilizing your lawn is a form of ecocide. So um, just be careful out there. I will say in in their defense, I'm not a huge fan of yard work. So if I can be a better <laughs> steward of the earth by being more negligent of my yard, I'm you know, I'll take one for the team that way. Yeah. Yeah, so in other words, if the neighbors are complaining about your your lawns not looking so great, quiet everybody... fascist. <laughs> exactly. We're we're just trying to conform with the environment. So, here's my read on it. My read on it is there is actually a massive pushback that you see what Davos is pushing. Of course, Davos is not a government. They don't have actual power, but they have what Bill Clinton called convening authority, right? They bring uh, the powerful together that some of them are government officials, some of them are business leaders, and they talk in unison. They plan for what they think the future course and direction of of the planet should be. Uh, And there's been a lot of pushback. We have protests by farmers. God bless these farmers in Europe. Uh, in, in, in Scotland, uh, elsewhere in the world that are protesting some of the, uh, things that the World Economic Forum is pushing. Uh, you see a lot of, uh, the conversation in the United States among Trump about, among members of Congress who don't like what the World Economic Forum is pushing. So there is absolutely a resistance that I haven't really seen as much of anymore. It seems to be invigorated. And this is probably how they're trying to react, which with kind of this window dressing, right? No, listen, let's talk. We all want to talk together and convene. Well, at the same time, they're doubling down. I mean, the stuff about hunting, some of the other things they're pushing, they're not softening their agenda at all. Well, if one of the global agenda moves is, you know, bringing China into the fold, right? And that was one of the takeaways that China's at the table of this Davos. You talked about it red handed. What is China's strategy? What is it? Big talk, soft stick. I mean, they, they will, yeah. they will talk aggressively against you in one way, but then work against that from a public policy standpoint. Is that what we've seen at Davos? That's actually, yeah, that's a great point. That's pretty much what it looks like is happening. It's, you know, big, big help with a little, uh, bad mouth. Yep. Um, so. Uh, yeah, this year they're talking about a global carbon tax uh, in order to uh, achieve a global carbon tax. Uh, they'll need carbon footprint trackers. And they've talked about carbon footprint trackers uh, for years now at Davos, where you're measuring how much you as an individual uh, are killing the planet, in their words. I mean, Alibaba is actually, I mean, I've got a quote from the president. We are developing through technology an ability for consumers to measure their whole 
carbon footprint. And well, so tell, tell yeah. people who Alibaba yeah, and is Alibaba and why Alibaba is like the Chinese Amazon, but, but bigger. So it's, you know, one of the biggest Chinese uh, companies there, you know, every company in China has to be close with the government in order to succeed. And so what's ironic about Chinese, China's company telling people to do that? Yeah. I mean, so when they talk about climate change, they never talk about the world's largest <laughs> polluter, uh, which is China. I mean, most of the, the plastics in the ocean come from either China or India, uh, you know, building a new coal plant every other week, it seems, in China. Um, but they never say that to, you know, China's face. So it, it kind of uh, reeks of the hypocrisy of like a private jet exhaust. Well, and it's interesting because the Wall Street Journal had a piece during Davos where they discussed the fact that Davos is starting to lack maybe a little bit of confidence because so many of the things they believed 10 years ago uh, have turned out not to be true. One of them was that the climate was going to you know, be in a terrible shape. It's really not. It's kind of where it was 10 years ago. But even more to the point, the Chinese model, they all upheld that the Chinese had figured out how to create a planned economy where you get growth and you get the dynamism of capitalism. And you look at the state of the Chinese economy right now, it's not good. So they're maybe starting to realize that a lot of things they advocated haven't worked out. And I agree with you, the true believers are still going to be the true believers. But some of the guys that were just going around, it was like in high school, the guys that linger around with a popular crowd just because they want to be with a popular crowd, maybe realizing these guys aren't as smart as they actually pretend to be. Well, in recent Davos conferences, they've said that there would be recessions in Europe and the United States. They also said FTX was like the crypto wave of the future. Right. And that's, you know, now there's an indictment on the table there. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they've been wrong about a lot of things. A lot of things. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're wrong on the regular basis. Um, the other thing with China is like China, if, if do we see them gain an influence with this elite crowd? Because if climate change is the thing that we're using as, hey, we're, we need to all curb our behavior, China doesn't actually have to curb any behavior, according to the Paris Climate Accord, for another 25 years. So it seems like they would seize the fact that they're flawed economic model. Uh, they need everyone else to kind of take a step back in the name of climate change so they continue to ascend. Do we see that happening at all? Yeah, I mean, the partnerships, the business relationships with China uh, continue un, un, uh, unabated. I mean, Meta, Facebook uh, just made a huge deal last November with Tencent to uh, manufacture their their uh, Oculus headsets. Um, so they Facebook just re-entered China after a 14-year hiatus. So yeah. uh, they're, they're uh, you know, a lot of the tech guys are, are still totally in league with China, Bill Gates, Microsoft, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I mean, China is critical. I mean, George Soros has said in the past that China is critical to the new world order. I mean, that's a more or less a quote from him. Um, and so the, China is China is essential to the plans cooperation with China. The the Belt Road stuff, they're on board with that. Uh, so I mean, you know, at, at their peril, at all of our peril, uh, Davos does love China. Well, and then and then you had the other big issue that was looming at Davos, which was artificial intelligence. And, you know, this is obviously a, a controversial uh, subject. It's scary to a lot of people. You have a lot of people like Elon Musk that have raised questions about, I don't know, killer robots. Uh, but the vision that they have for artificial intelligence is pretty glowing, right? I mean, it's pretty glowing and seems to be wildly optimistic in the sense that it's going to benefit them but it's not going to necessarily benefit the rest of us. It's, it's another one of these gaps between the elites at Davos and the reality for the rest of us. Why do you think it won't benefit us? Just out of curiosity. Well, the, the concerns are, I mean, there was a report that came out. They're expecting 60% of all jobs will be negatively affected by artificial intelligence. It may not be that bad, but 
Think about all the jobs that are being done right now that are already being replaced by artificial intelligence. Uh, and it's not going to affect these elites, right? I mean, it's not going to affect their wealth creation or, or their economic viability. But was that a big issue, artificial intelligence? And, and you know, what did they discuss there? Yeah, artificial intelligence was uh, really the unofficial theme. So it was every day they had, you know, several panels on artificial intelligence. They're all very optimistic about it, mostly because it's big tech companies who will be benefiting the most here. Um, And, you know, it remains to be seen whether it will be like uh, the computer. A lot of people feared uh, computers would put... (laughs) Uh, put secretaries out of business. Right. Um, and it turns out the computers created more jobs than ever. Um, so it, it may, uh, AI may eliminate all of the menial tasks, but you know, there's reason, uh, to be concerned. I mean, just, uh, you know, the creatives, people who do graphic design and video, you know, videography. And I mean, you push a few buttons and, uh, you can spit out graphics, um, uh, that will render a lot of people's, uh, graphic design jobs obsolete. Uh, and same thing, like I just saw a report from Microsoft, uh, that radiologists, um, you know, people who don't, you don't interact with, you know, you'll want to, you'll still want to see your primary care physician and get the, that, uh, friendly bedside manner from a human, but the people who are behind the scenes in the hospital, uh, radiologists scanning your, uh, x-rays and MRIs, uh, Microsoft says that AI chat GPT can do that way faster, way more effectively. It can, uh, find problems on the lab results much quicker, much faster. And so if you're trying to go into the field of radiology, you might want to learn to code. Well, it's interesting to me because it seems like companies like Google and like Facebook, and this is one of the themes we touched on in that documentary we did, The Creepy Line. It's like if if you give people a free product that seems to make their life easier, you you give them email, you give them, hey, as a social media, I can see my friends, then it kind of, they're not overly concerned about how it impacts their privacy or what information they're giving up um, in in a way that it does negatively impact their life because now you're now more easily manipulated in terms of like being sold things you necessarily think you wanted because your phone heard you say a thing, right? And so I guess I could see why big tech companies would be big fans, but when I don't know that pe- I, why I asked you that question is I don't know that people necessarily agree with the premise that it's going to make their life harder because so far people seem willing to take the tech that they think makes their life easier and these guys laugh all the way to the bank. Yeah, they will, will laugh all the way to the bank. And let, let's remember, it's like any technology. It's it's kind of like, you know, the people that are on the lifeboat. Well, we're going to have to toss somebody over. If we toss somebody over, it's going to make things better for the rest of us, right? We'll live longer. We'll live better. There'll be more space. And I'm it's just it's making just, a note that to never be on a lifeboat with you. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, what world is a lifeboat? Like somebody has to go. That's the opposite that, of the point of a lifeboat. And, that, and no, that's a like control thought exercise. That, that <laughs> yes, came out of the exactly. Paul Ehrlich era where it's like, you know, everybody or, you know, a spaceship was another example where you, right. know, you're on a lifeboat and you got a granny next to you. You got the pregnant woman next to you. Like, who do you toss? Right. And, and, <laughs> and so the point is, is we, we've always had, you know, technology that has improved prove that it's it's made certain jobs obsolete you know people that made bridles for horses when the automobile came around their job took a no dive nose dive right <laughs> not as many people riding horses but the point is that that uh invariably it's it's going to march forward but as we know with every technology we've ever had whether it's atomic splitting the atom or whether it's computers it brings good and it brings bad. And the confidence with which the elites always seem to say, we know what we're doing. We can control this. No worries. If 
you look at the history of that, you got to have very little confidence that they actually can contain this in an effective way. Well, that's why it's terrifying. I think that the idea of, if, you know, here you got the Argentinian prison said, we need to be on the side of freedom, yes. which is the opposite of what Davos is standing for, essentially. Yes. And if Davos is saying, hey, we can work with the government to tell you what your future is going to look like, and it's going to look like this, I think to your point, technology is fine if we choose to adopt it and incorporate it into our lives. But if we're told to do so in the name right. of some larger existential threat, and that's where it gets nefarious, right? Because then it's like, okay, no, 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 here's the, we're telling you that this problem exists and we're going to make you use this solution. This solution may actually cost you a lot more than you think yeah. it will. Or we're going to steer you in that direction, right? We're going to nudge you. Those are terms they use. So Seamus, give us the bottom line. What do you say to the person who says, this is a bunch of rich people that are meeting in Davos. I don't care. This doesn't really affect my life. They don't have power over me. Why should I care what happens in Davos? What should, what would your answer be to them? Yeah, I mean, ask uh, ask your local farmer if what's happening in Davos affects their life. And you can see it all around the world. I mean, as Davos was going on this year, Berlin was at a gridlock standstill with tractors. I mean, tens of thousands, uh, you know, it looked like from the aerial shots uh, of tractors shutting down Berlin. Now, just this week, uh, Scotland farmers are are rising up and the Dutch farmers have already done so. The because Irish why? Farmers, uh, because of uh, the regulations that are first talked about in Davos. I mean, it takes a few years for the plans of this year to be implemented. So as they talk about AI this year at Davos, it's going to take some time. And, and really, AI accomplishes so many of their plans. I mean, there's the universal basic income. This is something that they're talking about at the elite levels. Like we've got to give checks to everybody. Um, because if there are, you know, let's just say they're right about the 60% of jobs affected and there are large amounts of job losses, uh, those people are going to be begging for a universal basic income. And it's not really a coincidence. I don't think that uh, uh, chat GPT maker OpenAI is funding the largest universal basic income study in history. Yeah. Um, you know, they, you know, OpenAI thinks it's going to be taking a lot of jobs. And so what does UBI uh, accomplish for the World Economic Forum? A digital ID. Sam Altman has said, well, we need to have, you know, a digital ID in order for you to, we need, we need to know who you are so that you can get your checks. And so you may think to yourself, well, I would never uh, comply with a digital ID, like, you know, screw Bill Gates and his plans to give me a digital ID. Well, if you're out of a job and you're trying to feed your family and your only way of getting that is to sign up for the open AI digital ID, that's one one thing. And then uh, in a digital Larry, ID, just for people like, so what, what's the concern with, with the digital, a digital ID? ID is where it centralizes all of your, all of your data, all of your information. You may think that like, oh, you know, it's, it's already captured by uh, the government, but it's actually uh, not like not everything you uh, do is captured under a digital ID. And, it, and we saw it with the vaccine uh, passports uh, in Europe and in Israel and uh, we had the vaccine cards in America. You couldn't go into a restaurant. So it gives them control. It gives them That's control. That's what a They're digital ID yeah, yeah. They can track it, you and they can tell you, you can't do this and you can't do that. Right. And then the uh, central bank digital currency. I mean, this all falls under the Great Reset, what they're talking about this year. I mean, we're kind of in the build back better phase of the Great Reset, where Klaus Schwab said, uh, we need to, in 2020, when he announced his Great Reset, we need to prepare for an angrier world. So, I mean, that's a prediction that sort of have, has come true, at least for the farmers. But he says, uh, this is going to give us an opportunity to digitalize everything. And so you've got the digital ID. Um, and then uh, Larry Fink of BlackRock has talked about central bank digital currencies. And a lot of these AI companies uh, are you know, also working on digiti digitizing currency. I mean, uh, Sam Altman, OpenAI has got his digital uh, uh, currency uh, operations. And 
They are now saying that in order to get a UBI check, a central bank digital currency will be a very efficient way to get the checks out as fast as possible. And so that's how AI will would accomplish some of their goals, ones that you may not sign up for, may not be on board with. But if you lose your job and you need money, you'll probably accept all of their plans. It's about leverage and control. Mm-hmm. So even though the Davos, as you, as you point out, is not a government, it's the headwaters. They're the headwaters of the river. They sort of help determine what's coming down the pike. So, Eric, are you worried about your job? You think you can be replaced by a robot? I mean, uh, I don't know that a robot can get you at lunch as efficient as I can, <laughs> but, <laughs> but but I guess <laughs> one day we'll find out. I said ketchup. I said ketchup. <laughs> I will say, I think, I think it is really interesting to the extent to which the Argentinian president saying, listen, state control leads to poverty. And Seamus saying poverty is essentially essential to adoption of the plans for the global elite. Because of control. Because, yeah, yeah, like if you are poor enough, you will do all the things we want you to do. Yeah. And I think that's why, not in a conspiracy way, but it's just really smart to think through that thread. And is that a common theme? Is this something that's going to make me poor potentially, which then makes me more reliant on the things they want to make us have? Like, would you eat bugs? Right. I mean, that was your thing that to me, (laughs) I still think about control oligarchs. Yeah. Bill Gates wants us to eat bugs. Well, would you eat bugs? Of course not. Well, what if you're hungry? Yeah. What what if you're hungry? And and, and it goes to the heart of the old uh, statement. I think Thomas Jefferson uh, said it uh, and it applies universally to the extent that someone can do something for you. They can do something to you. Yeah. So when you have control and power over somebody, they're 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 poor or they need something. They want to go somewhere and you have the ability to do something for them to give them universal income. That also gives them the ability to control you and to do something to you. And that is something that we here at GAI will always fight and will always resist, whether it's from the government or from a non-governmental organization like the World Economic Forum. Eric, your final thoughts. Are you going to Switzerland anytime soon? Uh, no, it doesn't sound like I'll be able to afford to. <laughs> so I'm going to go bury some cash in the yard. <laughs> and, and buy gold. Yeah. No fertilizer. <laughs> just, just burying cash. Well, we appreciate it, as always uh, for you joining us. We also appreciate Seamus being here with us. I would encourage you to pick up his book, Controlligarchs. It's an excellent read. It helped Kevin Roberts as he was flying to Davos, and it will certainly help you understand these issues in a vital way. If you want to know more about the Government Accountability Institute, you can find uh, some of our research at thedrilldown.com, and you can find this podcast wherever fine podcasts are located. Thanks again for joining us. Until next time. Until next time.